Hello. Oh, good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? Good, good. Man, you called an audible on me. I, I wish I'd known to prepare for this. I know, I know, but you know, we gotta th- gotta throw you a, a curveball, as they say in uh, in the NFL. Well, if I'd known, I would have treated my time differently. If yeah, you like, you would have boned up. Yes, I am not talking about bartending. <laughs> not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what uh, we want to do? What we talked about? Yeah, I do. I really okay, do. Okay, so there's two important pieces of information for this episode. Okay. Uh, depending on how much you believe in the paradox of predestination, this may be useful or not. Yes. But um, first of all, we're going to talk about a movie that came out four days ago <laughs> called Predestination. Yes. <laughs> so go watch that. Go watch that. Because in about 15 or 20 minutes, we're going to talk about it. And so number two, uh, if you can't watch a, a two-hour movie in the next 15 or 20 minutes, don't listen to anything after the break. We'll give another spoiler. But this is really irresponsibly going to be spoiler-ridden because it kind of has to be, right? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 a great movie, but there's good concepts with it. Now, if you don't care about the movie Predestination with Ethan Hawke, uh, and if you've never read the Heinlein short story, All You Zombies, upon which it is based, uh, do that. Do one or both of those. I would say you could do either one. You could read it or watch the movie or both, which I recommend. Yeah, I was so fortunate because I went into it. It's God, it's so rare nowadays to get to go into any movie knowing absolutely the minimum about it. Like maybe, you know, like I hadn't, I hadn't seen a trailer or anything. All I knew is that it sounded really good. So I had not read the story. Um, and I was really glad I didn't know anything about it. I had no idea until you mentioned predestination to me last week or whenever it was that you had, you know, we talked about it. That, it must have been about four days ago four when it came days. out in the United States. Yes. And, uh, well, hadn't you been staying, staying in Australia for a period of time? Well, I I didn't want to make a big deal about it for privacy reasons, but right. I went to Hungary and I got a copy of the DVD when it came out on my birthday last year. Thank right. you to everyone. Um, this is one of the paradoxes of time travel. Yeah. I'm not sure if it'll hold up in court, but we'll, we'll, we'll find about, out. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah. I, I yeah. So anyway, I'll get to all my disclaimers about how unqualified I am to talk about this when it's time. But I just wanted to warn, we're going to talk about other stuff first. So don't turn it off if, if you don't want to hear about this movie. Right. But um, it's, uh, it, it is, I, I really really liked it this is really good no it's a really good film yeah so i don't know this this is i don't know if this is the show but uh you know you know what i watched last night was i watched lucy oh that's um next up on my list too yeah well you mentioned that and i got it confused because i thought it was that one nobody liked where she was the mean alien and uh i I gotta put lucy (laughs) like solidly in the pantheon of like super interesting movies you shouldn't think about too much oh yeah like inspector gadget like Inspector Gadget, is that with Don Adams? Who was who starred in that? <laughs> Matthew, that Broderick. Matthew Broderick. Yeah. Oh, Box I was literally making poison. that up. He was actually the star of that. Yes. What if Penny saw a dinosaur? Uh, hmm. yeah. Um. So that's something we can do. Um. I don't know if people are going to like that, Dan. Well, we'll we'll put some. Here's what my idea was. We'll put some. We really... got a queue. We got a queue already, Dan. We've been supposed to talk about the Big Lebowski for four years now. So people are going to be mad. Am I wrong? No, wrong? no, no, you're not wrong, but that won't, this won't be like an all movie. Oh, and I, f- we fixed the, uh, the show bot. We fixed it. It's, it no, it's fine now. And was Mike Biesterfeld involved in that? No. Um, Mike. Somebody thanked him. Mike, yes. Mike wrote the show bot and, uh, she, he does a great job maintaining it and it, and, uh, and then Chad it, Bailey is the guy here who helps me out with the code. Can, can I, I don't want to cut you off. Can I, can I suggest something here? Go ahead, we've go. never actually done this. Mm. Can I make a suggestion? Please. Can we right now, like in a very dignified and gentlemanly way, thank the people who've worked on Showbot? 
Yes. Would you would you mind calling those people out and, and thanking them because they've it's been a really nice part of the five by five shows. Other people have made similar things that uh, are awesome, and I just think it would be nice to actually formally say who's responsible for it because it's a nice part of the show. No, I absolutely agree, and uh, and the the person who I think is the most responsible for it, if you want to, and I'll you know what, um, there mute, are, is that mute mute winner mute winner is Jeremy Mack. I like that lady. She's sweet. I mean, you know. <laughs> She she always gets to the root of the problem, you know. You know, I met him. Did you really? I met him at a thing. I think it was a corn related event. I was in like Kansas or Indiana or something. And I met him, and he was super nice, super cool, and very very smart. I had a lovely evening with him. Very very smart. And uh, and Mike Beasterfeld Field. I'm I'm gonna get that exactly right because I want to pimp his show as well. But go ahead. Well, oh, let's we'll pimp his show. No, you keep talking. Uh, well, the credits. He, he's been involved. There's, there's been a number of people who have been involved in, in making this thing, um, uh, work. And, uh, Mike has, uh, if you go to jackals.us, yeah. that's where he's doing some really, really great stuff. And, uh, and, and then m- most recently the, the guy that's been helping me with, with code is, uh, is Chad Bailey, who's here in Austin. So, uh, but it, but it all comes down to these folks who decided to roll up their sleeves and build something that we really needed uh, to to have. And for those who don't know, if you tune in live to the show, yeah, what, what are we, when we talk about show about, what are we talking about? If you tune in live to the show, uh, and and we do this from all of the shows that we record here in Austin, and uh, a few of the shows that we don't, we we bring in, and we stream the shows live. And then uh, people can go to 5by5.tv slash live when we're, when we're recording the show, listen in, and they can participate uh, in the thing. And then they, they make suggestions like show titles. Merlin says something funny. Then there's a show title that they suggest in the little chat room that's there. And the show bot is the thing that's listening always to their suggestions and collecting them. And then it allows you to upvote the ones that you like toward the end of the show. And that's how we come up with titles uh, usually. Some, Merlin says something good. Some astute listener in the chat room catches it, and then the showbot is responsible for cataloging those and letting people vote on them. And it's uh, it's wonderful software written in, uh, I believe it's written in mostly Rails and Sinatra, but you know. What about what about cucumber? No. How about Go? Uh no. Well, are you using a, a CVM compiler? What do you use for that? No, no, we don't use Go. Okay. I mean, I've looked at Go, but I'm letting I'm letting Marco vet that for me right okay, now. Okay, struts. Struts, no. <laughs> Okay. Moved on from from struts, thank God. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, what about that uh, IDE for Cold Fusion? Can you still use that for things? You that can't, was great. You, you can't remember how great that. that was? Yeah. No. That was the greatest IDE I've ever seen. No. Uh, but I, I, I tried to load Eclipse once, and I think somewhere it's still loading. Well, JetBrains took that over. JetBrains, sure. Mm-hmm. And are they on struts? They no, no. Okay, but, but they're, they're close. They're fairly close to the metal, given the Java. Yeah. yeah. Eclipse okay. is good stuff. All right. Um, and also then, um, so th- I, I just want to say thank you because we, we you. talk about it every week and people may not know what we're talking about. You know how it is. If, if you don't know why to check something out, like why would you? But yeah. I, um, I look at Showbot throughout and uh, find it very frustrating and funny and it's great. And so, but Mike Biesterfeld. Mike Biesterfeld. Um, well, well, now what's Mike Biesterfeld's jackal name? Oh yeah. What, Hattie, what's Mike, uh, Grace. Grace. What's uh, Mike Biesterfeld's, uh, Mikey R.? Cause oh oh is he's funny him? no it's no wait that's not him I bet it's uh anyway the point is I don't I I can't look at the IRC because I find it extremely confusing mm. and very distracting so it's nothing against the chat room I just can't I can't look at it and try to talk at the same time but here's the other thing Mike Beesterfeld did which is such a clever idea so he started this thing called Jackals US 
which is his own little kind of uh, like a little mini imprimatur with different podcasts. And the first one I became aware of um, is called Better Know a Jackal. I don't know if you've ever listened to this show, Dan. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And so Mike goes and people, I, it, I, it seems to be spreading out now to the Relay uh, chat room folks, but um, gosh, it's got 29 episodes now where Mike interviews mostly jackals from the 5x5 chat room. And it's a lot of fun. And it's really nice to have a voice to go with the with the titles. It's holy cow in the chat room is the... Uh, oh, yeah. of course. Yeah. Love that guy. And yeah. so they, um, uh, he interviews them about uh, like sort of what they do, what kind of equipment they use, um, what brought them to a given chat room, what shows they like, usually usually on 5x5 it seems, but now, like I say, uh, there's some Relay ones too. And then uh, talking about like what other podcasts they like. And I, I think it's great. I mean, it's so nice to hear, like some of them sound really smart. It's really nice. I've told him that I want to, uh, that I want to like distribute that on, on 5x5 so hopefully, you know, more people could could find it. So we've got to work that out. Yeah, check out Jekyll's US. But anyway, uh, sorry for the derail before we talk about time travel. But uh, I, I appreciate the work that people do on stuff like that. I think it's awesome. Um, 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 how you doing? Uh, pretty good. You know, so cold, you, you it's cold. Cold? You haven't seen Lucy yet? No, not yet. Is that the same guy, Luke Besson? Is he the same guy who did uh, Lilo Dallas Multipass? That's him, right? Didn't he do Fifth Element? Yeah, I believe he did. I believe Luke, he did. Claim to fame. Love that movie. Multipass. 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 Didn't you post a photo? You can put your driver's license in a Lilo Dallas Multipass? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Carboni. Anthony Carboni uh, tweeted that. And I saw this thing and I just thought that was the coolest thing I've got. But it's expensive. They're like Etsy. They're custom made, you know, one by one by hand and... Yeah, yeah. He, I, his movies are really. I, Fifth Element is so campy and so fun. Um, and God, Gary Oldman is so silly in that movie. But Bruce well, he's Willis, got a good haircut, and he has that's terrific haircut. Yeah, we should incorporate more more big pieces of uh, of plastic in, into our hair. <laughs> I, I think it's a, it's a good look. <laughs> I know it is. You know what? Uh, you're talking about that, and of course, that's set on a future Earth. Um, a lot of people when it it became 2015. A lot of people were making back to the future jokes like I want my hoverboard and, uh, you know, but the funny thing is looking at the clothing that they had the teenagers of the time wearing, uh, you know, they had all kinds of like things sort of strapped to them and plastic components and things that were either balsa wood or styrofoam spray painted gray. But I remember watching those movies as a kid and feeling like that was completely plausible stuff. That they were, we were going to have that in 2015. It, it did not the hoverboard necessarily, um, which was just cool. But I feel like you know, like uh, when I remember watching that movie and thinking, we'll probably have stuff like that. Like that seems yeah. 2015's a long way away. We'll you're probably gonna need, have you're going to need things like yeah, pouches. I, I think it's a Rob Liefeld thing. <laughs> yes. I think Rob Liefeld really got us <laughs> thinking about the idea of a future pouches. where we would have gi- giant thighs, no feet. <laughs> And just hundreds and hundreds of pouches. You need pouches. Mm, man, that guy's got a different, different, different sense of foreshortening and perspective. Yes, it's an angle. <laughs> he hates feet. He does. He makes them. They just like look, look like little, uh, like like a uh, vestigial feet. Like if we'd evolved beyond that to where our pouches were helping us move, we would where just have we're these... going. We don't need feet. Mm, my daughter likes the third one the best. Really, with the train. Uh-huh. Mm, mm-hmm. mm, 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 mm. Mm-mm-mm. So Mm-mm-mm. that just gives you a little more time to go uh, watch that movie before we talk in a minute. Yeah. 
Um, I don't have, I, like I said earlier today, uh, offline, I don't have too much stuff. I wanted to mention a couple of nice pieces of feedback. You sound good today. I don't want to jinx it, but. Oh my God, you're right. I haven't had the thing yet. Yeah. You haven't had. The... Uh, don't do that to me. Trigger warning. I think that you sometimes run into on the show. Oh my God. That was good. <laughs> well, gosh, I only hear it 50 times a week with everyone. Yeah, the, thing, the, the thing that happens is, is something, uh, and then the, yeah, welcome to the world of podcasting. Yeah. It's quite a trip. Yeah. I lost my earphones and I'm just inconsolable. Your earphones? Yeah, it's like I, like I dropped my, uh, dropped my uh, Johnson or something. I, I can't... <laughs> like I mislaid my ding-dong. Right. It's rough, dude. <laughs> and the thing is, like I'm on the bubble because like, I don't want to go buy. Oh they're kind of expensive. I don't, they're expensive. I don't want to buy another pair. And I keep thinking they're going to turn up. And so I keep researching the same areas. And then I think, okay, think outside the box, ding-dong. And go look some other places. And I still haven't found them. It's been several days. And I, I guess I don't even really think about how much I use them until I don't have them. What are you doing in the meantime when you ride the L? Uh, sometimes I walk around holding my iPhone like a Samsung user. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, everybody. That's right. That's right. Mark yeah. Arman was surprised with how things went with his post. Can everybody hear that? Nice and loud. I turn up nice and loud because of my hearing. So, and then I try putting in the Apple ones, and I don't think they tested those on ears, Dan. It doesn't go in my ear. There might be other holes that that would work for, but when I put them in my ear and they say, oh, sorry, they just pop right out. Oh, they yeah. hurt. It's intense. Yeah. I, I think I might have a small ear aperture. I haven't noticed that. It would explain that. why I never hear what anyone says. Huh? Hmm? Go ahead, call her. Um, so I gotta get. Nah, hey, I you know I went I went to go see. I went to my you know you can go to your Amazon page and look at your previous Amazon orders. Yeah, and I did a search on Edemotic. You don't even want to know how many pairs of these I bought because the build quality is not great. These have lasted me the longest. The pair that I'm using right now has lasted almost a year, which is unheard of. Edemotic. Yeah, because they um I'll put it in show notes. Okay. I like them a lot. You know you get you get attached to these things. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, like a lot. These you know? are, oh, those are the kind that sort of have the three wedges that... It's got like a little earbud plug thing that goes in and yeah. sucks it into your ear and then the sound comes in. Like a trainer. Hmm. Oh, yeah, sure. You start nice and easy. Right. You start then easy. Then you hit the point of no return. <laughs> build your way. That's why they're beveled. <laughs> these are not... There. It looks like there's a $13 one and then there's a $130 one. That's the one I've got. Yeah. Jason Snell has had like custom uh, ear things made. So he's got custom ones that fit in his ear, like Tom York. They wanted to make me a pair of those, but I didn't want to go through the process. That's a big privacy issue too. Well, they, what they do is they, you, go, you have to go into an audiologist's office and then they do something where they put a, uh, some kind of polymer or wax or something like, like it's that. It's like a death mask for your ear? For your ear. They make a mold of your <laughs> ear, a death mask for Pass. your ear. And, they, and, and, and while that's there, then, it, then they're making it mold. Then it hardens and they pull that out. Then they send that to the, the, the ear folks, the, uh, the, the places that, that they make the headphones. And they use some kind of 3D printing technology to print headphones that will perfectly fit into the inner cavity of your ear, mm. which they've made the mold of. I didn't, you know, it's not worth it for me to have mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Well, something Jason noted that's nice is like once, like you, like you indicated, they do like a 3D printing type thing. But they, so they've got a, a digital file of what that 
that ear thing is. So you can, if you lose them, you, they can still make them and they'll make them for different uh, brands, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I don't, it's one of those things. Anyway, like, I should just cowboy up and buy another pair, but I bought so many and they, you know what it is? It's like if I'd owned three pairs of that, those, I would just go and suck it up and buy another pair, but I bought so many pairs. Is it? They, they fray. They, the, 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 uh, the, even with a great deal of care, you know, being in a pocket for hours and that little wear and tear is frequently the point of failure is, you know, you plug it in to your device, you get that little L jack kind of thing, right? Where it comes out at an angle. Mm-hmm. And then the point where I think it's getting a lot of wear and tear on that little, like where the, where the cord connects, you know what I mean? Yes. To the, so that gets frayed and then. Powazic. And then you got the wax. Powazic? Mm-hmm. Isn't he a Fra- farmer now? Fra- yeah, he, he grows tomatoes. Yeah. That, you ever met Derek? Yes. It's super hard to understand. Just the speed of his speaking? I don't. I don't. Ever, I don't think he's ever picked up anything dirtier than a book. That's that's crazy. Good for them though. Yeah. Kuna Matata. He's got. He's got a cool tattoo now. Squid. Yeah. Nice tomatoes. Okay. Well. Uh, so I got to get some headphones. What else did I have? All you zombies. I just had two. You know, we don't have time to get super into these, but I wanted to acknowledge two good pieces of feedback. Um, is that okay? Yeah. It's your show. Whatever. You, I don't care what you do. Uh, this is from Peter. Last name withheld. Uh, wrote in a uh, possible topic. I, we'll just have a placeholder here. I like this a lot. Uh, so, uh, Peter Lesney withheld had a great quote from somebody named Kathy Kendall. When I feed on resentments and anger, I am giving someone else rent-free space in my head. Mm. Discussion, how can we keep a cool head in stressful situations? I thought that was a really nice note. I thought so too. And there was something that really stood out for me about that. And that is when you, uh, it's a weird, it's a weird concept, right? But like, you have, as as a person in the world communicating with other humans, you kind of have the ability, and we, I don't, I don't think people think about it this way. I, I certainly don't. But you have the ability to influence someone else's thoughts in a very direct way, just by sharing something with them, or in in the way that Peter kind of described it. Uh, almost, you're like giving, you're giving people space. You're giving them the ability to, I don't know, I don't want to say influence your thoughts, but kind of send you down a a, a, a a train of thought or a pattern of thinking that maybe isn't a good one for you to be on. It's true. And something amazing about what you just said is that, uh, not to change the topic, but like that, that is kind of addressed in different ways in two different episodes. I heard of this new show Invisibilia, which I think they're trying to make the next serial, but it's a really good show. It's, it's, um, it's a woman who used to work on, um, uh, this American Life and another woman that used to work on Radio Lab, and it's about all like the the invisible stuff that goes on. It's kind of a little bit, sort of a little bit along the lines of like you're not so smart, but it, it's about the stuff that goes on in your brain that you can't see. Mm-hmm. And one of them was about this. They called it was it third wave. It, it's this idea of like something beyond cognitive behavioral therapy, a different kind of like uh, thought stuff. And another episode. I should prepare for these things. Nah. But like it was basically about how, how, what you, how, there was an amazing episode that I think was on this, you know, how they, they piggyback an episode, like This American Life basically featured a whole bunch of this, this episode right. to kind of bootstrap it. Um, and it was this amazing episode that I'll find for notes on how, what you think of some, what you think can actually have an effect on the stuff around you, not magically, but specifically in this example, uh, like how there's these rats over here in this lab environment that we told everybody are really smart and these rats over here 
that we told people weren't smart and the rats who we told people were smart did better in the experiments. Mm -hmm. And they think it has to do with how you handle the rats, like you end up having more respect for it or something. (laughs) And so what you think of something can have like an unconscious effect, not in a magical way, but I I agree with you. And I mean, the, the most obvious bottom line stuff for what you're saying is it changes how the way that you act, the way that you project yourself and the way that you obviously feel about others that they can see will have a huge effect. And that goes all straight back to how you think, how you decide, how you see. So, I mean, it is, it is kind of a feedback loop. Don't you think? Yeah, I think it is. And I think when you, you know, feedback loop, because, you know, we're going to be talking about. Yeah. Loops. Loops. I don't know. I'm always, I'm one of those people who, and I, I think the the whole, you know, going back to the ancient conversation we had past episode seven, so after the show, you know, wasn't helpful anymore, mm-hmm. when we, we talked about uh, Jean-Jeff, um, who used to say, uh, you know, do, do, do you trust, you know, we have- Do you we believe have, your thoughts? Do you believe that? That's a Gil Fransdahl thing, but then oh. uh, Jean-Jeff going to the next step and saying, maybe the thoughts that you're having aren't your own. And that was a very weird, well, whose are they then? Where are they coming from? Uh, I, I think, I, yeah, I think about this so much lately. And it's funny, it just keeps coming up in, in different places. Um, but the the idea that, what was, there was another thing I heard the other day that was totally related to this. I think I might be insane, Dan. Everything's starting to seem related. But, but ha- having to do with, uh, j- yeah, just that very idea. Oh, you know what it was? It mm. was a guy on Fresh Air yesterday talking about his OCD, mm. which was fascinating. It's this guy who has a flavor of OCD. Did you, did you hear about this or hear it? No, no, tell me. Oh, wait, wait, guy- don't tell me. No, just kidding. That was terrible. <laughs> Trigger warning. Terrible. He, um, he has a flavor of OCD where he has, he has an obsession with getting HIV. And and the thing is that as they say repeatedly over and over, it's it's you know the thing is if you have OCD, you know that your fears or your obsessions are irrational and it right. doesn't make it any better. You still are looking for security about being assured that like if he if he scuffs his heel on the step of a pool getting out, like will he get HIV from that? Right. So he goes and he looks, is there any blood on there? And then he gets a towel and he's wondering if there's HIV on the towel and right. like it goes it's you know obsession all the way down. And so, I mean, th- that is extremely germane because the thing is your thoughts do become who you are. And when those, any kind of a thought becomes invasive enough to be kind of in front of your face all the time like that, it absolutely changes your perspective of things. It really, really does. You start, you start looking for evidence in the world that supports what you've been thinking, even if it's something you don't like thinking. And I think you also tend to start avoiding situations where anything could potentially make that unwelcome thought come up or make it seem more real. Yeah. You start to live a life that is controlled, although it's controlled by you, um, you're sort of controlling it in, in, in a way that's based on this irrational fear. And the whole crux of the OCD thing is that, you know, uh, you, you know, like you said a minute ago, that the fears that you have are irrational and that the things that you're afraid of are essentially impossible, but that doesn't change the reality of the fear and the, you know, if you knew, and this is the way that I would explain OCD to people is that, uh, there's a loved one on the other side of the room who needs your help desperately, but there is a, uh, a large tiger loose in the room between you and them. And, 
that's very real. That sensation of like, I need to get over there, but I can't get over there to do this thing that's really important uh, because there's this tiger in the way that's blocking me. And if I, tr- if, if, but I can get rid of the tiger if I do these things. It, none of this makes sense to somebody without OCD. Like it, right. it's, it's like, and it's almost a memory thing in a way. It's like, oh, and it, frequently for people, it's locking the doors, leaving an iron on or something like that. So like if, let's say you iron a shirt in the morning and you might say to yourself, okay, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to put, you know, I'm going to put the iron away, but before I put it away, I'm going to unplug it. I'm going to let it cool down and I have to, so I don't start a fire. I'm going to put it up on the marble countertop, but I'm going to face it toward the wall so that, you know, a kid doesn't come around and, and touch it. So, okay, it's there. And then later you, you see it and you wrap it up, right? And then you, mm-hmm. you touch it. It's cool. You wrap it up. You put it up on the shelf. You're like, okay, I've done that. It's fine now. And maybe now, well, I just want to check that before I leave to make sure that I did that. Because even though I remember putting it on the countertop, turning it a certain way, wrapping up the cable, putting it into the thing. I've just got to double check it. And you're in your car and you're like, well, wait a minute. Did I do that? Or was that the last time that I ironed? It's like a memory thing. It's like the thing right. that a normal person would be able to say, yeah, I like, I did that. I checked it for you. You've got to check it again. And now you're driving down your halfway to work. You're like, um, did I unplug the iron or did I leave it on? I, exactly. I, should go back, I should need to go back home and do it. There's this tiger in the way, you know? And because, because it's it's also a little bit like the example you hear people using is drinking salt water. Where, you know, if you're if you're in a in a lifeboat and you've been out there for days and you've run out of fresh water, your inclination is is to drink seawater because it's water, right? Right. But you know, anybody will tell you that not only is that unhealthy because it's seawater, but the seawater has salt in it. And so the more of that that you drink, the thirstier you're going to get. It's it's an analogy. That I, I think that's a true analogy. Yeah. But like it that to me represents the anti-pattern for so many things that we do. Yeah. Most commonly I've used that to talk about productivity porn, where like the more you get, the more you want. And then, but each, each, each step you take into that without actually doing any of that work is actually going to make you just want more. <laughs> and and in the case of the, the 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 temporary consolation or relief that you get, in this guy's case, he would call up an AIDS hotline several times a day to go like Are to get serious? a further assurance. No, it's, it's horrible. It's a really interesting story. Very smart guy. He's you know gone through therapy for this. That's gotten it under control, but it's still there. But like he talks about having to you know calling up and saying like, hey, is there a chance I got HIV from doing this thing? And they're like, well, it's you know probably pretty unlikely, but you know get it checked out. And then uh, there's like almost no chance. And they go, okay, thanks. And then he goes, hmm, almost no chance. Right. That means there is some chance. There's some chance. And so he got to where he was calling so often that he would start recognizing their voices and start like affecting an accent so that he could, you know, talk to them longer. And the whole time, the worst part in some ways is he knew that that was not logical or sensible or realistic, right? But it doesn't change because you're, you're trying to you know, you're trying to grab air. You're trying yeah. to like, you know, do this thing that can never provide a permanent consolation. But I mean, the, the thing, whether you've got OCD or, or whatever, like it's becoming clear to me that like the way that you th- think about things or t- to a deeper level, maybe the way you allow yourself to think about things or the way you systematically, periodically, like consistently think about things will end up having a huge effect on on every aspect of your life. And on the one hand, like there are people who are psychotic, like they don't, they don't get that little shot of fear or doubt 
when something goes wrong. So the way that they think is broken in that way. So they can do all kinds of crazy behaviors as CEOs that you and I would never do, <laughs> for example. But it's true for anybody. Like if you can talk yourself unconsciously into almost anything, even or especially if it's something really terrible that you don't want to think about. So you try to push it away. And then when you try to push away, it just comes back even harder because you can't shut that off. Right. And it's what's, what's really weird about that whole thing is that the more you think a certain way, it's almost like you're establishing patterns in your brain that become comfortable things, that become habitual ways of thinking. So if you start down this path of, you know, worrying about like this guy, like worrying about HIV or something, like your your brain gets into that. It's like you're, you're starting to make your own little uh, Grand Canyon, you know, that little stream that just gets deeper and deeper and deeper until how are you ever supposed to shift out of this, you know, train of thinking? It's it's. It's uh, it's bad. That's I don't know if that's scientifically accurate, but it's exactly how I think about it. Yeah, you know, if you if you always if you got a backyard with grass and you always take the same route to go from the back door to the garden, eventually there'll be a path there. Yeah, and then once there's a path there, you're much more likely to walk on the path. Right, it's easier. Yeah, and then pretty soon there's no grass there, and that's to me that's kind of what happened. I feel like. You know, anecdotally, I feel like that's what happens with with our thoughts too. Is that even if it's something we don't like thinking, if it's what we end up thinking over and over, that's creating a, a path, maybe not a pathway, strictly speaking, but that's going to become what I've heard some people call an automatic thought. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and what was the other? So, how do you one? break out of that? I have no idea. I mean, I have no idea. There's lots of, there's lots of different ways uh, to do it, but like, it seems like a really complicated problem because it involves, it isn't, I mean, it isn't a matter of just saying, don't think that thought or think something differently. I think there's a lot to it that is probably partly chemical or, you know, it's, yeah. it's cognitive and it is behavioral and it is to some extent, you know, um, what do I say? Chemical. Like if, if, if you're, if all the little the juices, the little bartender in your brain is mixing things up a certain way, it's going to make it very, very difficult to change that. It's, you know, and, but like those things start, the, the idea of like, so what do we mean? Like cognitive, like how do you think about things? Behavioral, like what do you do as a result of what you think, whether you realize it or not? Right. And then chemical, like what is, what are the little uh, things in your brain causing to have happen? Like depression is kind of, it's a chemical thing. You can be sad, but people who are really depressed, it's a chemical imbalance. People who have ADD, it's a chemical imbalance. Uh, right? I mean, that's not maybe not the exact words, but there's more to it than just, I love being distracted and annoying. Right. No, there's something going on, like there's not enough dopamine created. So the thing is though, it, it, this is one reason I think anybody who's a, any good therapist is going to say, there's way more to this than either me chucking you on the shoulder and saying, feel better, mm -hmm. or you should be more positive, or here's a bottle of pills, or let's talk about your feelings. There's, it could be all of those things. It could be more of those things. And it has to be like um, individualized to, to each person and really calibrated and, and re-updated um, as you go through some regimen of therapy. But I don't think it's easy, but I do think it is useful to know. Um, and so finally with this, maybe, um, the guy talks about, in the, the guy who was worried about HIV, his name is um, David Adam. And his book is called The Man Who Couldn't Stop. 
which on the cover is the man who couldn't stop, the man who couldn't stop, the man who couldn't mm-hmm. stop. OCD and the true story of a life lost in thought. Um, he talked about one of the things that was, ended up being very useful was doing this weekly therapy, like three-hour weekly therapy session with other people with OCD. And one of the very first things they did was handed out this sheet. Like, have you ever had any of these thoughts? Have you ever worried that you would have intercourse with an animal? Have you ever wor- Have you ever thought that you were going to jump off a subway platform? Have you ever worried that you would like throw your kid into traffic or something like that? Now, all these, you know, kinds of horrible things. And maybe it was the kind of thing you had, but after everybody went through that, the person running the uh, session said, well, just so you know, all the things on that list are things that people who are um, clinically normal have worried about. Hmm. But because they didn't have OCD, it didn't become an invasive thought that was always there. Everybody thinks crazy stuff. So he said that was actually comforting to know that it's the it's not the thoughts themselves that are so bad. It's the invasiveness of the thoughts. And it's the inability to dismiss a thought. That's, that, the, that's, that's the thing right there. That's that's the part of it that I yeah. think people who haven't experienced or don't have OCD don't get is that, you know, if 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 you're feeling this and you're going through it, Somebody else saying, you know, just don't don't worry about it. It's, it's fine. That provides no reassurance. You lack the ability to kind of, like you say, to dismiss the thought, to get to get out of what we would call a loop. Again, uh, you're, yeah. you're you're having a looping thought, and it seems, you know, the way that if, uh, you know, if you're if you were seriously worried about something. Uh, that was very tangible and very real, and you didn't know what the outcome would be. Uh, you 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 would obsess about this thought, but if for someone with OCD, that can become something that that's completely irrational. The thought ha- makes no sense, and and even though you know that, it doesn't take away the fear, and it doesn't give you the ability to jump out of that loop and stop thinking. A hundred percent. And uh, just to piggyback on that, I I don't think I have uh, OCD. Um, I don't think, but I do know that I get very, very anxious and I can generate a huge amount of anxiety from virtually nothing in terms of kindling. Like I can turn anything into an anxiety. If I'm in the wrong state of mind, like I need a trigger warning for life. Like anything can send me down this story that gets worse and worse and worse. And so, and I don't like that. And I don't, I mean, there's, there's times where it's not uh, bad. There's times where it is bad, but it's, but I guess what I'm trying to say is this gets back to, I guess, the original point, kind of. When I feed on resentments and anger, I'm giving someone else rent-free space in my head. Regardless of whether or not you're clinical in any kind of belief, I would just say, be aware, even if you're having a good day today, be aware that the stuff that you think over and over becomes who you are. Mm. And that if, if in the case of like for somebody who might need help in one way or another, whether it's for OCD or anxiety or whatever, depression, anything like that, is that it's the, the test becomes, okay, well, there's that thought that thought keeps coming up or that series of thoughts, that loop, as you say, keeps coming up. Has that started to get in the way? And the way it's described in that uh, Invisibilia episode, I think it was, like if you you know, wrote down all of those thoughts in a book and then held that book in front of your face, like how does that feel? Mm. Like you don't see anything else anymore. So I think the, the, the thing is, I, I guess two things. It's, it's worth being aware because even if you are a quote unquote normal person, it's worth thinking about <laughs> it's worth thinking about how your thoughts are affecting the way that you see and do and then rethink. But you know, if you have if it's something where it has become invasive, you know, it's not totally freaky. You can talk to somebody about that and it might be not 
as complex or impossible as it seems. Because when anything is in your head, just bouncing around, it becomes, it starts to seem impossible. If you're a thinker, you can think anything over and over and over. So I would just want to say, you know, I don't know, it's been a week of uh, several of these stories that really resonated with me that, you know, when it becomes too much, I think it's worth uh, talking to somebody. I wish it were easier to say, like, go call this number or something. But if it's something where, you know, you're having trouble doing what you'd like to do because of those kinds of thoughts, it's probably worth talking to somebody about it. Because that might even help just a little bit right there. Totally agree. All right. Did you want to tell me about something that you like? I'll tell you about one of three things today. Our first is Linda. Linda Linda.com. And that's spelled L-Y-N-D-A. Linda.com. Basically, these guys have made a, a lovely site. That, uh, that you, what you do is you go and you become a subscriber to the site and you can watch these amazing videos that they've made that are, I say amazing, I literally mean uniquely amazing videos. <laughs> literally. Literally. They are great. Every single topic that you could possibly be interested in, it seems like they have a course made by an expert in that field explaining whatever it is that you're looking to do. Uh, so many things in here, thousands and thousands of courses, web development, photography, visual design, business stuff. You know, you want to get back up to speed with doing office applications. I mean, it's all there. I often talk about Final Cut Pro because that's been what I've been teaching myself on it. But, you know, right now we're recording this show with Logic Pro. Like, you want to learn how to edit? You think maybe you can you know, you want to do a podcast and you're fed up with GarageBand, go, go learn Logic Pro. You can you watch these videos and they explain things. It's all broken down so that you can jump right in, watch a video, get in and get out and learn the thing that you want to learn. You get access to all of the videos that they have, not just one. You can watch them as many times as you want. You get become a premium member. You can download them to your, uh, to your iPhone, to your iOS device of any kind. You can even uh, get them on your Android. You can watch them on your computer. It's really, really great. The access to these courses, they work from anywhere. And um, they had a, a really, really cool thing. They got Draplin on there, the guy who worked with uh, Jim Kudal and made Field Notes. That guy is on there uh, doing a, a video of like how he makes a logo, how he does these awesome logo designs. No, they just they just posted idea. that. It's so cool. They like they get great, great people. So uh, what they've worked out for listeners of this show is a uh, a ten day free trial to Linda. Dot com And uh, you can go there and you get access to everything. Imagine what you could learn uh, in 10 days with access to pretty much every single one of their videos. It's a really great way to get started. So you go to Linda, L-Y-N-D-A, lynda.com slash back to work. And uh, you, you will find the special link there. That'll get you to that 10-day free trial. And uh, I, think, I think you'll love it. So uh, go check it out. And don't forget, that's what works on your iOS device, works on your Android device, everything. So uh, lynda.com slash back to work, get you that trial. And uh, thanks very much to Linda for supporting uh, Back to Work from San Francisco. Way the future. Way the future. I <clears throat> <clears throat> get the sunrise, show me all the blueprints. Mm. Did I say uh, Woolworths? <laughs> Better make it pennies. Was it pennies? <laughs> <laughs> uh, mm, mm, mm. all right i'll do this if you want to do this i mean it's up to you it's you you know whatever you want is your show but whatever mm, my I don't care. goodness trigger warning um okay so this i guess is the point where we would say um if you should if we do this now yes if you have not if we hold on oh yeah if you have not 
either read the Heinlein short story, All You Zombies, or seen the movie Predestination with Ethan Hawke. You, you can listen if you want, but we, we will be spoiling the book and or, or the story and or movie from this point on. But I think people could listen. I'm going to encourage people to, to listen anyway. Yeah. I think they yeah. should listen anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. See, I hate to deny people that, though, because I, I think there'll be buzz about this, mostly positive and some negative. But I think there'll be a lot of buzz about this movie. It's a good um, movie. It's really absorbing. Um, I don't know. I, I realized like listening to things like The Incomparable, mm-hmm. like think listening to people like, especially Jason Snell, Dan Morin, John Syracuse, I'm say Lisa Schmeiser. There are people who like, especially with comics, uh, and, and as with video games, TV, and movies, they see and get so much more out of something than I do. Like Dan Morin and Jason Snell and John Syracuse talked about the Star Wars 7 trailer for, I think, an hour and a half. Yeah. And they saw so much in that that I did not see or hear. So, okay, you know, let, let me let me stop you there. Um, yes. Do you, why do you think that that is, if it, if that is in fact the case, why do you think that that's the case? I think two reasons, especially with comics, I'll give two reasons. One is that I'm still fairly new to the medium. Mm. and I'm new to the medium at a time when I've had a lot of it to consume. Um, so, you know, for example, when I was a kid, it's sort of like we were saying with Atari games, where if you had an Atari game, you just had to learn to love it because you had it and you bought it and you weren't going to get another one. And it was like that with me in comics. So if I was going to spend 35 cents on, you know, the thing versus the Hulk, like I would just have to love it because that's the comic I got that week. Mm-hmm. But the second part, I think, is that I'm... I'm, I guess, a visual person person in some ways, but like when it comes to, I do a lot of reading. So like I, I read all of the balloons and I don't pour over every, uh, for every um, what's the word I'm looking for? Panel, every panel in a comic. Right. Right. And so, you know, unless, you know, if it's something like Transmetropolitan or Watchmen, oh my gosh, I make myself slow way down. Because mm. Transmetropolitan, I mean, God, there's a whole, giant story going on in the background of all of those you really want to see but you know when i watch things i watch it i listen to what the people are saying you know like in a movie i i don't notice that much and maybe i don't catch references to things but i don't know i think i'm not as careful of a viewer reader or listener than a lot of my friends and it you know it makes me feel like kind of a dope i put myself in the same category as as you um a lot of the time i think i'm you know, I, I, I all, I'm always impressed by people who, uh, I don't know if the word is scrutinize, but who are, you know, be, in order to get as much out of that trailer as they got, it, they're not simply watching the trailer. And I, I actually believe that if, if you were sitting next to one of them in a movie theater or, you know, on your sofa watching this trailer and you both watched it at the same time, right? I don't think that they would come away from it having noted 300 items compared to your eight items, for example. I think they might notice a couple more than you, but they're stopping it and then they're looking at it frame by frame by frame. You know, that's not something that I I do. Uh, I did pause it. I watched it a couple times with my kid and he'd say, wait, stop it there because we want to see something. Mm -hmm. But I think that I think that there is. There's something different about the way, I mean, I, maybe we're the same in this. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, where I like that. I like that they do that. And then I can enjoy the discourse that comes from that. 
But for me, in a way, it's like I don't, I don't need to go to that level in order to in, enjoy the the trailer. And it often right. seems like people who do that come away from it not enjoying it as, as well, much. There's, but there's also a lot of criminology <laughs> yeah. uh, to it where, like, for example, there was an, uh, one of the Age of Ultron trailers came out and everybody was talking about, oh, there's this scene on the bridge where there's this other character. Who is it? Is it Mockingbird? Right. And I, I watched it like three times. I'm like, I have no idea who they're talking right, about. Like, right. I just didn't see it at all. <laughs> so, I mean, the 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 upshot of those two things that I'm new to a lot of these things, I'm not a careful person and that I am mostly kind of like a word person. Mm-hmm. The upshot is I end up really liking a lot of stuff because yeah. I don't notice things like that's, inconsistencies. No, that's, you, that's exactly what I was trying to say. You just said it a lot better. <laughs> is that is it like, and I, I remember ages and ages ago on an episode of, uh, of Build and Analyze that I did with, um, uh, I think it was called uh, Happy in three yeah happy in three places episode number 37 of build and analyze where marco and i talked about coffee and he got these coffee julies things that you put oh, in oh yeah, yeah 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 i remember okay. that i remember that so, so we uh, i'll put that in show notes um, That's the things that supposedly keep your coffee hot hot yeah and he te- he was testing them and we were just talking about coffee and and at the time um you know i think that you know i think i was just i think MJ had just been born around that time. And like for me, the fact that caffeine and coffee was simply a vehicle to provide me with more consciousness. You you didn't have time to brush your teeth right, let alone make artisanal coffee. Right. And (laughs) there were year in years past in my 20s, I was roasting my own beans and that morning and grinding them and doing, we didn't have an arrow press back then, but it was a, you know, I was using a French press. I was using a pour over. I was like all into that stuff. And I absolutely, absolutely know the difference between good coffee and coffee that comes out of a, a K cup. Like I'm there, I get it. It mat. But the difference for me is at that point, I just want the caffeine. You know, mm-hmm. I just want to be awake. And if 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 it's not terrible, that's fine. I, the fact is, I can go and you know what? Like, I can enjoy a cup of coffee from Wendy's. Like, that's I'm going to enjoy it. It's still coffee. I'm getting as much out of it as I can. And uh, and I I remember that that whole conversation. It's it's exactly like what you're talking about now. Whereas you can watch a trailer and like just love the trailer and be like, oh man, that was cool. I'm sure I missed a bunch of stuff, but I liked it. Whereas there are other people right. who are like, well, I that I didn't like that or I didn't like what they were doing with it's, that. It's or, kind of situa- it's situational in some ways. Yeah. Where like if you've got if you've got the ability to sit there and weigh your coffee and try three different samples, your brain kind of can't help but find an improvement. Not, not to say there's not a difference, but without saying too much, you remember we had kind of a, a crazy health thing over the summer, yep. and uh, I uh, hadn't slept a lot and I had a really terrible couple of days. And at one point at like six o'clock in the evening, I went to the hospital cafeteria, and I had this really old crappy cup of coffee that was like the best cup of coffee I've ever had because I really needed that cup of yeah. coffee right then. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I know the answer to this, coffee. And I went and it was it was old and it was gross and it tasted like something from a bathroom at a shell, <laughs> but it was it was so good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, at the right, coffee can really be a savior. Um, oh, it can. Um, so, yeah, but, but the, like I say, the upshot is that I can watch. Okay. So there's, <laughs> I mean, there's some kinds of things where, and here we are getting a little bit into the predestination here, I guess, is that when it comes to time travel, um, I am, I have to say like utterly fascinated by time travel things. I, I don't know why it, it hasn't always been, but like things like I mentioned that adventure time arc, 
about the time machine. Yeah. Bubblegum's time machine, which is amazing. It starts with episode, or, uh, issue six. It's really good. I like Looper. I liked, uh, what's the, uh, what's the one where you go in the dreams? The uh, Inception? Inception. I really like that. I like things with levels and meta stuff. And I, and I, and I like a trick plot when mm-hmm. it's done well. Mm-hmm. I really, and that's one reason I wanted to make sure we have so many spoilers up is just by, just by talking about this movie, even just a little bit, I was able to catch, it is a trick plot. There is some, there's definitely time travel stuff. Yes. And there's definitely some, you're going to figure out something really interesting. But here's why I love this movie in some ways as an uncareful reader was that I am, I mean, like when um, Unwed Mother walked into the bar, Mm -hmm. for example, I'm going to say this is the final spoiler. spoiler Yeah. At this point now, you must... You've, we're, you've we're about seen to the movie, spoil you've the read basic the, plot the thing. of this movie. Yeah. Okay. You, now it's the doors open. Anybody can get out right now. Uh, you've either seen the movie or read the book or you don't, or the story or you don't care. Yeah. Actually, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to take that over. I, I kind of backdoor took over there. Did you want to, you want to jump in here? No, no, no. I was just going to say also there's a Futurama episode that I recommend, which is Roswell that ends well. Uh, oh my God. Oh my God. That's that really sweet one, right? It's, it's the one where it's one where, uh, where Fry, what is he? I remember seeing, I remember hearing that was really good. And I watched it and I was like, this is like by an order of magnitude, one of the best future almost I've ever seen. It won seen. an Emmy. Um, but oh, it was I, I so good. Put it into the show notes. It's back from 2001. And it, you know, it seems like almost like in a way it's like a rite of passage for a sci-fi or, or borderline sci-fi show to, you always need like a really good time travel, predestination, paradox style uh, aspect to it. it. Lost got into this. Um, you know, like it, 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 you have to have something like this to sort of prove your worth in the sci-fi world. And, yeah, um, and to be able to like show your math in yeah, some ways. Yep. That you're, you're storytelling math. That's right. Because for this to really make sense, if you buy into this one view of time travel with the predestination paradox, it's a pretty crazy road. Right? I think generally... Did you, by any chance, did you watch that, uh, have you seen that Ryan North time travel thing I'm always talking about? Which one? Uh, Ryan North, the guy who does Adventure Time, did a TEDx talk on time travel. Oh, yes, so yes, I did. definitely need yes, to put yes. into notes. Everything you need to know to, to time travel. But, like, I guess there's two main kinds of time travel things. There's there's the kind where, uh, you know what, I'm not going to talk about this. No, let's talk about it. No, well, I see, but I'm going to get it wrong and people are going to get mad because it, no, it's... I'll, we'll get it right. But, but, but it seems like if you're going to do the kind... Uh, with a loop, like with a predestination loop, right. or with a predestination paradox. Like the story, when you're ready to, to like really make your bones writing that kind of story, it's you can expect that at, at the very least, there's going to be something that happens that seems totally random and involving a stranger at some point early in the story. Mm-hmm. And then if you're really, if you can pull it off, it's going to turn out that that was not random, that was not a stranger, and it was actually the same person who was maybe interacting with somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I get a total time travel boner when that happens. When that's done well, even though there's a million ways time travel-wise, I guess that could go wrong, I always, I love that. Well, it's great, and it's... it's Like in Looper, like didn't Looper handle that pretty well? I, I thought know. that they handled it, handled it pretty well. Apparently, I'm, I've never watched any of these. Uh, I mean, I think I've watched them, but I'm not into the, the Harry Potter thing just yet. But apparently that there was some kind of temporal oh, paradox thing in there. and The Harry so, Potter one is so well done. You don't see it coming. But there are tons of plot holes in Harry Potter. I read one the other day. You, you haven't seen any of the movies? I've seen them all, but I, I don't remember them. So well, it's, like when Voldemort goes to cast his, uh, his spell that's going to kill Harry and he kills Harry's mother, why doesn't he just pick up the baby and throw it out the window? Why does he have to have a spell? And I was like, oh, you know what? 
God damn it. Yeah. That's a really good point. <laughs> if he really wants to, just, he's a baby. He's a crying baby. Pick him up and throw him out the window. Why didn't he do that? Yeah, but, like if you're evil, you would think you would do something like that, right? You know, I'm going to tell you, I, uh, I think uh, the third Harry Potter movie, the first one is adorable. People are hard on the first two because they're young and they're still kind of learning how to act. The first two are adorable. The third is like, it's a different kind of movie. It's so good. The Prisoner of Azkaban is awfully, awfully good. I think it is... If you're really invested in the series, the second part two of Deathly Hollows is pretty rewarding for fan service. Mm-hmm. But even if you're just going to watch one Harry Potter movie, I think I think you could watch just the third one. It's done by uh, Quaron, so it, it's really what's the guy who did Children of Men. It's really really good. Well, what, so pre- predestination. <laughs> yeah. Well, what we're talking about, and really the whole the whole uh, concept behind this the story and the movie is. what we're sort of watching is what you would call it a causality loop or temporal causality loop. So that it started out as this one kind of movie and this one kind of time travel movie is that bad stuff has happened in time. And so we've got this temporal bureau, is that what they're called? Yes. We've got this group of time cops that go and go back and change stuff so that terrible, awful, you know, world changing events don't happen. Right. That's the the basic conceit is, and there's this person who is the time cop that we know, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Kind of? Yes. No, I only want to toss that out because before we get into all the craziness, the basic framing is that we know there's this guy who's completed, it sounds like two missions, mm-hmm. and now he has a third mission. Mm-hmm. And all we know is that, that he's he's a time cop and then something happens to him at the beginning. Right. Oh, that's yeah. it. I mean, so... Well, he's burned. He's horrible. He's, he's horribly burned. So now he needs to, uh, he, he gets a new, essentially a new face and the, uh, the burning has affected his vocal cords, so he won't quite sound the same. Now, I will say, this is not that, that part that I've just described and everything that has to do with the fizzle bomber, none of that is in the short story. And the way that the short story works, none of that is, is necessary. It's simply oh. the story of the unmarried mother and the progression of things like that that happens. This was added, I think, to make the movie a little bit more exciting, and it worked. It worked with the plot, and I, I, don't, I don't feel like it was... Uh, gratuitous or anything like that. I think it. I think it made for right. a, a bit more of an interesting movie, and it gave you a a slightly different sense of closure at the end. Um, the, the the way that the short story ends, uh, you're you're kind of you're left with things a little bit more up in the air. Whereas this one has this sort of finality to it uh, in in the movie. So, um, <laughs> and the whole the whole time I'm watching that movie, after I first it, it uh, there's a, there's a, there's a little secret at the beginning that's very easy to guess. It's actually a woman. And then you go, and then more and more you're like, oh, you know what? My first guess was that's Ethan Hawke's mother was my first guess. Oh, uh, well, and you were right. Yes. But the thing was, the thing, reason I love this movie is like I have been trained, even as a casual viewer, to watch a movie like this and look for the hints. Well, one look of for the somebody who's on the, screen a little too long at this right, one point right, or whatever. Right, One of the hints I thought was great is that you've got both the shot of Ethan Hawke at, at the bar and uh, the unwed mother. Every time they show each of them, there's, it, it, the way they have it set up in the bar is that he's standing right underneath the, you know, they had a, man, a men's and a ladies sign. He's standing right under the ladies sign. Every oh, time it God. shows him really? in the first scene, he's under ladies. <sighs> So every time it shows them, it keeps saying, ladies. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah, I mean, there are lots and lots of hints. And and having read the the, the story so many times, because it's one of my favorites, uh, going back and watching this, I just found myself laughing throughout the whole movie because they're dropping so many great hints. 
as as the as the short story drops so many great hints and uh you, you when you read it back the second time you're like duh but the right. first time going through you're like didn't see it didn't see it and i i've never talked to anyone who's read it who's been like oh yeah i knew it, it was going to happen there but i can well, i just cause, cause, and that's the beauty part though is like even as a you go okay this is a time travel story the, it would not be a fun time travel story if you didn't have to deal with these issues of either you know dealing with yourself a past version of yourself accidentally changing an event that's important like that's what makes fun like yes and but here's like, the thing is it is it is that this goes along with the time travel theory which is even though you haven't done it yet, uh, you as the time traveler in the future, you will go back in time to an earlier point in your life and you have already done that in order for you to be here. So what will eventually feel like you going right. back. You, you, can't er- you can't erase that trip right. and what it caused. You've done it. and that's, it, that's, that's the predestination paradox. Right. And so if you were to try to go back in time to change it, the act of going back in time, you've already done it. You've already failed to change it. And in fact, probably caused the thing that you were trying well, to go back to avoid. In this and, case, and, though. And in fact, in fact, there is no starting point. When right. you look at it in that way, that's what makes it a loop is there was not really a first event technically. And what is so genius about this story, and this gives everything away if you're still listening. And this is what I, I got some of it, but I was like, no way. There I was is. Like, you know what I was thinking? There's no way they're going to go all the way down the line with this. They do. There is no starting point. He is both his own mother and father and child. And there is no, he comes from nowhere. There is no starting. Look, if you went back right now as a human being, you could trace your ancestry all the way back, moms and dads, all the way back. And if you believe in evolution, all the way back to the protozoa, right? But this is closed. His whole life is closed. When does he begin? He doesn't. He never has a beginning. There's no no one that leads up to him. There's well, just the baby, Jane, but the which baby is, was a great red herring. Yes, because I, I I mean I was thinking oh I know there's some gender bending here. Could it be <laughs> that the baby turns into him? You know what I mean? Because after you've done the the reconstructive surgery, like you kind of you figure you can go in any direction. Yeah, but it's so. How do we talk about it in an intelligent way without just saying oh my god? Because okay, I think here's here's what we have to do is we have to look at it in a chronological standpoint okay yeah so if you go back to the very beginning um and and the way the that beginning uh, of the movie narrative beginning of the movie narrative you have the unwed well actually you know what let's step out it of the begins, movie narrative. it begins with the uh with diffusing the bomb right but let, let's step out of the movie narrative and out of the short story narrative and into the actual chronological order of things that oh. happened starting with an early date Okay. okay, so we've got, I think it was 1946. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. So it, 1946, a baby, who is baby Jane, is dropped off at the orphanage by who we can call the the bartender, the the older... Well, we could say like at that point, it's just it's a mysterious person. It's a mysterious a person. But in reality, we know who it is, right? The baby is dropped, baby Jane is dropped off, grows up in the orphanage, goes out and try, you know, wants to become... Uh, the uh, in, in the the spacers guild, whatever we want to call it, right? Um, then so baby baby Jane grows up is is very intelligent, but yes. very out of place with everything. Seems to have lots of skills, has trouble making friends, uh, and just grows up in this kind of horrible orphanage. Then, after uh, doing that, Jane goes to, is in school and meets she him, gets recruited, and gets recruited. Um, that doesn't work out very well. 
Well, she's but what she's recruited for, it's like a joy division. Yeah. She's basically gonna be recruited to be an astronaut hooker. She's gonna go it's like they a, com- a comfort woman. A comfort, but right, isn't that what it was? Yeah. Basically they realized if the, and it's an at this point it is it's an alternate, you know, United States history. Yeah. But they're gonna send people into space, but realize if they're gonna have these male astronauts, the gender stuff in this is so great. They're gonna send these male astronauts in space, they're gonna go crazy if they don't have women up there to do things with. Yeah. And so she thinks she's gonna get to be an astronaut, but they just want her to be like a space geisha. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't work out um, because she gets in a fight and then as part of the, you know, exam, she is revealed to have what uh, I guess you would call... Something anomalous. Uh, and At that point, we just know it's something anomalous. Something anomalous. We don't know what it is. She then, um, going in chronological order, not movie order, she then meets a man who kind of seduces her and as she's a reason... She, at this point, she's in Cleveland taking classes. Yes. And it's kind of important. She's taking classes, and in this chance encounter, she bumps into this guy. Yes. And the guy and her sort of establish a little relationship. They date. Uh, she gets pregnant from the man. Mm-hmm. Then uh, she... Then the, man, the man just abandons her. Just all of off. a sudden, one day, disappears. Uh, Jane is now pregnant. Uh, she gives birth. And it, it, during the birth, it is revealed to her that the pregnancy has damaged her because she actually is uh, a hermaphrodite, a true hermaphrodite. You got to just give them a little bit of leeway here. I know this is a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> but basically that she essentially is, has, this is so bizarre. I don't know how this would be physiologically possible. And she's basically a man who happened to have the ability for a one-time baby. <laughs> right. Because now the, her internals have been damaged by the the uh, the pregnancy. She somehow was able to bear the child, but her uh, female parts are no longer salvageable. Without even asking her. <laughs> right, without even asking her, the surgeon and the head of the hospital surgeon guy uh, remove, uh, give her a hysterectomy, rem- remove her ovaries, and reconstruct one of several procedures, reconstruct uh, and, and build out the, the male parts. So she's... Mm-hmm. Then begins taking hormones. She's very upset about this, obviously, uh, but she, no, no choice, nothing she can do about it except perfect move forward. reading of the time, though. That idea that, like, you know, having a baby used to be so de- un- unpersonal. Like the yeah. stories my mom's got about having, you know, been she had some pregnancies that didn't work out, and then one that did. But like, it just sounds like they used to treat you so differently. They did not give you a soaking pool back then. <laughs> but then on top of it, to have that horrible experience, find out that you did have a baby girl who survived, found out that you're actually a man, and then oh, and by the way, for your own good, we're we've just begun the pro- the irreversible process of turning you into an official man. Oops. After after you've had this baby. Yeah. Sorry. And so now she is, begins taking, uh, oh, and uh, the baby then, shortly thereafter, uh, the baby is stolen. The baby is abducted. Yeah, right on the nursery. So now, in addition to having a a sex change operation, uh, she now has no baby. And so then she begins to take uh, hormone treatments to, you know, contain and whatever procedures are there until she is now full on a male. And this, the scene where we see her finally accepting slash realizing that mm-hmm. that's done is, I think, very well done. Very well done scene. She basically walks up and realizes that she can urinate standing up. And yep. it's, it's funny, but it's also like, ugh, it's rough. Yeah. So now that's, that, that sort of takes us back to the moment where the movie begins. The, the reason that... Uh, called, well, then she becomes, she becomes a... She fails out. Fails of, out, right. I'm sorry, am I jumping ahead? No, no. She, she, she um, when do we get back to the 
isn't there another space thing that happens? Yeah, she goes back and wants to become a... Yeah, this, okay. Uh, she wants to become, she like tries to re-enlist this time, not as a comfort woman, but as an actual, I guess, astronaut and is rejected. And, um, and then that's when he starts to uh, do this writing and he writes this book and a column of some kind called the, you know, like the Unmarried Mother uh, talking about like doing like a... Kind of like Love Lorne, love, Advice yeah. to the Love Lorne kind of thing. Right. So at this point, uh, he goes to the uh, bar and meets the bartender. Uh, and at this point, the bartender is like, listen, uh, I can help you find the man. Well, yeah, and then just kind of do one thing. Yeah. So the everything you've seen, so there's a beginning part that takes place at, a, at an unclear point in time, right before this, uh, the bartender is or, you know, the person we know as the bartender who's undercover as a bartender is burned. Everything else we've seen up till now is essentially told in flashback. Correct. Which is that the uh, unmarried mother is sitting there and basically bet a bottle of booze that she could tell Ethan Hawke this story that would blow his mind. Yeah. And he's patiently listening and it's, oh, it's very well done. They very play pool, well done. They talk, it goes on and on. And then, and then we get to the point where that's the story. And then Ethan Hawke is, you know, kind of feigning being a little bit underwhelmed. And then what happens? So then uh, the bartender says, well, I, I can help you find. What if I could, what, what if I could get that, get, get you that guy? Get you what that if guy. I, what I could definitely make it so you could kill that guy. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's when the movie starts to take a, another turn. Yeah. Because uh, he then takes. He reveals that he is a temporal bureau agent. Right. And takes the, uh, him, the unmarried mother, back in time. To oh my god, oh my god! I paused at this point. My wife came in the room. I'd watched fifty-four something like fifty-four minutes of this movie. My wife walked in the room when the stranger turned around. Mm-hmm. I, I I shrieked and, hit, and I, I I hit pause and I said, "Go to the bathroom, make some hot chocolate, and come back because we're going to watch this movie from the beginning." And oh, we man. did. That's awesome. So we what, go back to the scene we've already seen where she's coming out of her class in Cleveland in nineteen sixty-three. Yes. Is so, that right? Yes, so, or 64. So let me ask you this. When you saw that, and if you remember in the beginning when it showed the flashbacks of her meeting the man, and it did not show the man's face uh, or really let you hear the, the man's voice at all, was that a tell for you that there was some mystery there about that? Was there? Oh, it was obviously going to be a huge part of what made this a time travel story. And there was there was a part of me that thought, oh, it'll be Ethan Hawke, haha, or right, something like that, right. or or it'll be Robertson or whatever, right. or it'll be Robertson's the uh, guy that Ethan Hawke works for, yeah, the guy who was Charlie Bucket's dad, yeah, and was Tech also support. he's also what's his name in uh, Steve Zissou, yeah, he was uh, it, that wasn't uh, yeah, what was his name in that? This is Waldarski or something like that? And then then he wasn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's he a great was, English actor. He's also in uh, Peaky Blinders. And in Vanilla but, Sky, he was the tech support guy in Vanilla Sky. Oh, and, but no, you definitely knew there was something up because you only heard her side of the conversation the first time around. Right. You knew that that was a placeholder for something. But I don't know. I, I guess I didn't, I didn't totally see it coming until it was there. And I was like, oh, shit, because what happens? She comes out, she bumps into the stranger. Yep. And who's the stranger? It's the stranger is now him having gone back in time. Yeah, The Stranger is the sex reassigned yep. 1970, 1970 version of her. Very <laughs> freaky, on, right? And they go on a date. And at this point, the the now male version, old, older and male version of Jane 
uh, immediately understands, oh, mm-hmm. I, I'm the guy. Yeah. And even realizing that is so is sort of taken by his younger self that he then goes through with the dating and the impregnation of himself. There's a, there's a like a, a creepy, super creepy, but really sweet moment because he really misses the life that got taken away from yes. him. But she she turns to him and her eye she's just glowing and she's you know this young girl and he looks at her and says something like my God you're beautiful right like as if Has not, not in the sense of like that? sexually appealing but in the sense of like oh my God that's what I used to have right. I used to be so normal yeah such a sad moment yeah it really is great so why would not, why would why would he not remember later that he'd done that because he was doing it for the first time oh 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 the loop. Yeah. The, the loop. Ah. Jane hadn't done it yet. Jane was still Jane the female. Jane is the pre-reassignment female and right, John. Right. John is the post. So the, then the John, mother. Yeah. John is now coming back and doing it for the very first oh, time. However, God. we'll just call him Ethan. Ethan knew it all along because Ethan was the one that took John back to meet Jane that time. Intentionally knowing what would happen because he remembered it from both sides at that point. And that Although kind of- Ethan was doing it for the first time. Ethan was for the first time taking his younger self, John, back in time to meet Jane. That was the first time he had ever taken him back. But yet, yet, at the, from that point on, John always knew that in one day in the future, his older self would have to go back in time and take himself back. So from that, from the moment that he arrived and looked at Jane, he, he still didn't know because he did not yet know that he was Ethan. But at some point, he know he does later in his life realize that he needs to do that. This is probably um, a good stopping point because then it does get a little bananas <laughs> after this. Yes, you know. And the thing about this movie is like it would have been so bananas. I know I'd, I'd watch the first fifty minutes, fifty some minutes twice in the space of you know just over a couple hours. <laughs> but then when it got to that point, and then I thought, oh gosh, I see how this is going to end. But just as a as a preview it didn't end the way i thought it was gonna end because <laughs> there was a whole other act after that where you're like oh that's how all that happened right and it's like uh so you want to tell me about something that you like i would like to tell you a little bit about warby parker i actually uh, happen to be wearing warby parkers and i got these glasses years ago way before these guys are even sponsoring podcasts at all and we you know once uh once we kind of had five by five going, I started approaching them like, you guys really need to sponsor a show. I'm like the walking poster child for Warby Parker. I have three pairs of glasses. I've got my, uh, my readers and I've got my regular walking about pair and I've got, a, you know, another pair of sunglasses. And I love, I love the Warby Parker frames and I always have. And I remember before Warby Parker existed, I went and I found a really cool pair of sunglasses and I popped out the lenses and took them to the eye doctor and said, can you fit glasses and these because that was years ago it was the only way to get really cool frames and uh, thank god for warby parker because they have the coolest frames out there and they're really affordable that's the thing they do not cost a lot of money in fact you know these guys have this philosophy that glasses shouldn't uh they should be a fashion accessory right you want to wear glasses that look good but they should not cost as much as an iphone their prescription glasses start at 95 bucks and that's including lenses so you get you get uh, both glasses you get reading glasses you get sunglasses whatever you want and of course you're going to say well great i look at a picture of glasses online how am i supposed to know uh, what these things are going to look like on me 
they have this amazing thing. It's a home try-on. So they send you five pairs of glasses. Obviously, they don't have your prescription in them. They're just what we call in the, in the business, we call it dummy lenses. Dummy lenses. They send you five pairs of frames with dummy lenses in them for free. You keep them, you hang on to them five days, then you send them back. All of that's paid for and it, there's no like obligation to buy. And if you don't buy it, they don't come to your home and say, why didn't you buy? That's it. It's no big deal. It's like, oh, I didn't find what I wanted. But the ch- you're going to find a pair that you like and you can do the home try on until you find the pair that you do like. So you can put a pair on and be like, hey, you know, how do I look, guys? And they say, oh, you look great in those. No, don't get those. Get these. It's so much fun to do that. And again, it's, it's all free to do that. Uh, and, uh, and so here's what you do. You go to Warby Parker, that's spelled W-A-R-B-Y, warbyparker.com slash Dan, and you get your uh, five free home try-on frames. You, you send the frames back, you pick the one that you like, and then with that URL, warbyparker.com slash Dan, you get a free three-day shipping on your final frame choice. But remember that the home try-ons, that's already free. It's, they're just giving you this, this special uh, free three-day shipping they turn them around and, and, and get them to you really fast. And I love them. They do a great job on it. Uh, real people answer the phone if you have a question or to take your order. Uh, but, but that's the URL to go to, warbyparker.com slash Dan. Get your uh, free three-day shipping and, uh, and try some awesome glasses. There's, there's uh, no obligations. Really cool stuff. Thanks very much to Warby Parker for supporting this episode of Back to Work from San Francisco. Thank you. Buck, buck. <laughs> but yeah, so, so... This is, I envy you in a way because I cannot remember how old I was when I first read this story. And I make it a point to read this story at least once a year, every year. And uh, it's one of a few, I would say there's maybe five to 10 sci-fi short stories that I love that just, I enjoy reading and I find something new in them every single time. And we're, we're starting to get to this point in the story where things do get, a little bit weird. And if you, if you try to think of the time continuum mm-hmm. for the individual person, that is Jane and then John, and we're just calling it Ethan or the bartender. If you follow that person's life, it is, it is an individual, uh, it is an individual chain. So after we kind of finish the narrative of the movie, then I want to kind of go back and talk about what that person actually did as they've realized different things. And then you can try and explain to me where the person actually comes from because they don't come from anywhere, yeah. which is the weird part. So where, where were we? We were at, I think we're at the point where uh, Jane has gone back or excuse me, John has gone back and met Jane. Right. And then they start a courting. So they now, uh, what else is, I'm trying to remember what else Ethan Hawke is doing. Is Ethan, Ethan Hawke, Hawke back at this? He's back at this point. Too, Ethan right? Hawke goes back to his home base which I think is uh, near where these fizzle bombings are happening in New York at at that time period in the was it the seventies, and uh, and he's sort of hanging out there trying to find the fizzle bomber, and there's this joke that uh, John says to Ethan at one point, maybe you're the fizzle bomber. It's like yeah, maybe you are. You know, um, surprise, they're both right, but you um, you you wind up. I think following him, I'm going to sketch on this part. I think you're following him as he's back in his sort of home base, uh, keeping track of, of what the fizzle bomber is doing, but there's nothing. Oh, he kind of winds up, uh, going back to when he, as John pre, um, pre burning, 
uh, and giving him the violin case there. The, in, violin, the time travel is accomplished by a violin case. Violin case. Where like <clears throat> the same way you, on an old briefcase, you had those little uh, tumblers you roll around to, mm-hmm. for a combination. You use that to set the date, you know, in a Doc right. Brown kind of way. Yes. So you spin those and then the, the violin case is what takes you through time. So I believe that there's a run in with the fizzle bomber at that point. Uh, missing the fizzle bomber and then assisting his earlier self, John, by sliding the violin case to the burning uh, John so that John can return to his temporal time and and get uh, fixed up, patched up. So then he then goes, uh, Ethan then goes back to where John is with Jane and is sort of standing there and and indicates that it's time for uh, John to go. John says to Jane, I'll be right back. Explaining the, the utter abruptness of his leaving. Right. And there, and now he's going to be brought back to a different time period, probably back to the 70s, uh, or, or so he thinks. So then he actually brings him at that point right back, and he has now completed the mission that he had to ensure his own existence because he has sent John back in time, his earlier self, to do what he knows that he did earlier in his life, which is get Jane pregnant and give birth to the baby. At this point, though, uh, he now has to go back and he takes takes John to their base at the Temporal Bureau and enlists him in that. And then I think actually maybe I'm a little out of order here. At this point now, he then goes back in time to uh to the uh 1960s uh when a baby jane was born he actually is going forward in time from where he just picked up john but back in time from the home base standpoint (laughs) and i'm thinking oh this is great he's gonna go back and like save the baby and it's gonna be this whole thing it's like he's gonna change time it's like no he's not gonna change time he's going to go back he's gonna make sure that he's gonna be the one who caused what happened to happen right so he takes the baby jane born from Jane to from the 1960s back to 1946, drops him off, drops the baby off at the orphanage, therefore ensuring that he will grow up in that time period and go through all the things that he eventually uh, goes through. Then he comes back. And meanwhile, John is now dropped off at the Temporal Bureau, listening to the tapes that uh, Ethan has made for him to listen to, talking about the importance of being a temporal officer, blah, blah, blah. Now he goes back to that time period of the fizzle bombs with uh, his violin case, which is supposed it's his, to... his last mission. Last mission. Supposed his to his violin case is decommissioned. Exactly. Right. But it does not decommission correctly, uh, which Uh-oh. means he can still use it. He can still travel through time any way he wants. And he then uh, goes and is on the trail of the fizzle bomber at this time and m- figures out from a hint from Robertson that says something, what does it say? Like trace the, I don't remember. Trace the invoices, trace the address or something and makes a determination that, that the fizzle bomber will be at a laundromat at 1 a.m. I would like to hear right. your take on this. This part. Um, uh, this is when he goes and sees what, uh, is this the point where he sees him from the future? Yes. Yeah. Which, which is real, like, kind of, like, end of the line. He looks he looks really bad. He's He looks like his teeth are all rotten and he's all goofy looking and right. c- kind of unkempt. And part of the reason I and think— And a little unhinged. Yes, very much, because it, I guess you're, you can't do too many jumps, or the more jumps that you do, it can lead to sort of 
delusions or... It's like force lightning. You know, you yeah. use it too much and you, you, you get some bad complexion. That's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, very much like Rust in True Detective at this point, right? Um, <laughs> and he, uh, he, he confronts his older self and uh, says, you know, what, why are you doing this? And this was, again, this is completely outside of, of the short story. He's talking about the fact that in doing these bombings, that he's killing people who would have caused uh, bad things to happen in the future, right? Mm-hmm. Am I following that correctly? I don't, this part I'm a little foggy on. Yeah, that's, that's kind of was my, was my takeaway in that he's... At this point, my brain was feeling... Pre- it was late because I'd been watching this movie for three hours. <laughs> right, twice. In total. At least as far as I know. I might have watched it more. Mm-hmm. I don't know. In the loop. But um, I... Yeah, at this point, I was... It was I was just starting to kind of watch the circus at this mm-hmm. point because mm-hmm. my brain couldn't take any more of this one guy as all of these guys. But, and then, so how does he dispatch him? He shoots him and he, he just shoots him. He shoots him and he says it with a handgun that he had. And uh, the older one is saying, um, the only way that you can, um, you can, you can not become, to, the only way to not become me is to not kill me. He's saying, so don't kill me. That's the only way you can prevent yourself from becoming. We'll work together. And, uh, and he kills him. Closing, essentially closing the loop that will be his future self. Then Ethan returns to uh, his apartment. His where, retirement. His retirement apartment with a fully functional violent case. It means he can go through time. And he begins researching what the fizzle bomber was doing. Uh, and in, is then be- the beginning signs of him being caught up in that delusional state that I can stop this stuff from happening. Which, of course, leads to him eventually becoming the fizzle bomber Ugh, that he God. winds up fighting. So. So. He so. is. He is. <laughs> the melty face guy. Yes. He is the bartender. Yes. He is his mother. Yes. Jane. He is the baby that they have. Yes. And he is the fizzle bomber. And the father. And the father. He's, he's, he's. All of those people are just him. And the person responsible for taking those different people back to their different time periods from (laughs) other time periods. So if you were to look at this chronologically, like Uh. in in just the the chronology of this one person's life. traditional left to right chronology of time. (laughs) Yes. Uh, If you were to do it from that standpoint, a a baby is... A baby is dropped off in an orphanage. A baby is dropped off in an orphanage in uh, in 1945. The person dropping the baby off is Ethan Hawke as the bartender time period. This baby has been dropped off at the orphanage, grows up, wants to be a comfort woman. You know, 17, 18 years later um, is, uh, is, a, is going to school and a man shows up. The man is also him, but just older and having changed sexes. So mm-hmm. now it is Jane, an older Jane as a man who Jane then meets and has a baby from. The, and at the same time, the future post-constructive surgery yes. version of him is also there. Is so also there's, three there. Of, there's three of him, at least at that point. Right. Jane is then pregnant from her older self, at, that is male, gives birth to the baby. The Ethan bartender version then steals the baby, takes it back in time to 1946, and drops it off. Okay, then... Uh, Jane, then it's, you know, now Jane, who is, who is continuing on becomes, you know, the stenographer and the writer. And then at some point goes to a bartender where he meets the older, uh, 
Ethan version, the bartender version, who then takes him back to the 1960s to meet Jane to do the pregnancy thing. Um, then uh, he, uh, he brings him back, drops him off at the Temporal Bureau to start that path, um, from which, at which point uh, the older Ethan is then back in the 1970s where he goes to meet his older self, kills his older self, continues to live his life doing these temporal missions of his own you know, choosing until one day he's sitting at 1 a.m. in a laundromat when his younger self comes in and kills him. So that's, that is the chronology of the movie. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, where does... There's no starting point. There's, there's no, starting, no point. starting point. There's no place from which the baby ever really comes. Because from our standpoint, it, the movie chronologically... Uh, timeline of the movie begins with a guy, a grown man delivering the baby version of himself to an orphanage. That's right. And that's a baby that won't be born for another 20 years. Correct. (laughs) What a fun, what a fun movie. You know, I mean, I I have every... so much fun. I have every confidence that there's all kinds of things that were wrong with that story, but it worked for me. It was, it was such a ride, such a ride. I would like to hear what's wrong with it because if you, if you really think about it, you know, and this is the funny thing that when I talk to people about time travel, which is just, just such a fun concept, you know, there's, there's a couple different, um, there's a couple different things. There's, there's this thing called the grandfather paradox. Right. Right, and so uh, I've I haven't done a lot of reading. Well, I think about there's. This. I mean, aren't there? Uh, I feel like I don't know where I learned this, but I feel like there's just generally two ways. I, I don't know from a science standpoint, but from a narrative standpoint, there's two general ways. One is that you're in this. You're in. There's no way to change anything that's happened in the past, really. Right. Right. And there's no way to change anything that happens in the future. That that, that everything happens because it happens, and that's what happens in this kind of story. Then you've got a story like uh, I guess Groundhog Day or um, Edge of Tomorrow or the Adventure Time books, where each time an event changes, it splinters off into a different timeline. Yeah, I don't like the that. The infinite. But isn't that, isn't that kind of roughly the two kinds of stories? That is exactly the two kinds of stories. I don't like the latter kind at all. You didn't like Edge of Tomorrow? I liked Edge of Tomorrow, but I oh, don't... I love that movie. I, li- I liked it. I've seen it a couple times. I like the movie, but I don't like that kind of time travel as much as I like the kind. And wasn't, yeah. wasn't Robertson in that movie too? Was he? Oh, and I think yeah, Robertson's the guy in the basement. Every the time the basement. travel movie. Whoa, he Robertson's on a loop. That's but see, I love that actor. I, to me, I feel like it's my, okay because here's the thing that you need to get about the first kind of time travel story that you're talking about. The, thing the, the, the loop, need, the loop kind, the looping the kind, splintering. Okay, the, the the looping kind. The looping kind is that all of the things that happen have in the. It, 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 that it might involve you at a future point going into the past, those things have already happened. And yeah. if you were to go, and this is the whole, the whole um, like predestination uh, kind of thing, a bootstrap kind of thing, is the bootstrapping one, I think, is like, it has to do more with like objects or, uh, or information that's, that's brought back in time. And I think the, the example um, that, I've, that I think they use is like, if you were... Um, Okay, I'm actually going to look one of these up because I don't want to get it wrong because I don't want to get too much email about it. Okay, okay, here. Here's an example. On her 30th birthday, a woman who wishes to build a time machine is visited by a future version of herself. The future self explains to her that she should not worry about designing the time machine as she has done it in the future. The woman receives the schematics from her future self and starts building the time machine. 
Time passes until she finally completes the time machine. She then uses it to travel back in time to her 30th birthday, where she gives the schematics to her past self, closing the loop. Where did the schematics come from? Right. So that that is an example of the bootstrap paradox. They did this in Lost, where um, uh, uh, Locke um, had the uh, a watch that he did this thing with. Where did the watch come from? A future self gives it to a past self. You know, like that's the bootstrap paradox is where does that come from? There's right. the predestination uh, paradox, which is the e- example that I always hear uh, uh, for this one is like, a guy gets information that uh, he's going to die from a heart attack. So All he's right. like, I, I don't want to die from a heart attack. So he tries to like get in shape, right? But in, in trying to get in shape, he overexerts himself and then suffers a heart attack and it kills him. Right. So it's like this thing that happens is going to cause whatever the thing is in the past. Now, the grandfather paradox situation is one that says like, oh, let's go back in time and kill Hitler. That's always the example, right? Mm-hmm. So if if you were to go back in time, to kill Hitler and then kill Hitler. That would be impossible because if Hitler had been killed, then you wouldn't have had to go back in the time in the first place. Yeah, it's like that that image. I think I mentioned this an image I saw on Tumblr or, some, or something where somebody said, you, you, your life couldn't have been, you, your decisions can't be that terrible because a time traveler has never come back and made you stop what you're doing. Right. But But in that case, yeah, but I mean, the thing is you run into these paradoxes pretty quickly unless you splinter them off into different directions, a la Back to the Future. Right. So Back to the Future is one of those ones where there's multiple timelines, right? Definitely multiple timelines or a timeline that can change. And as he's changing things oh, in I, I the had to previous— get a print out. I had to get a print out of that to understand the three yeah, movies. Yeah, it was yeah. so confusing to me. It's fun, though. That's so I much think fun. I, that, that feels well done to me. Like the first one in particular feels pretty tight. I mean, again, I'm not the most careful reader, but— um, well, you know, you ha- and also what's really interesting is is in the, the causality loop, right? The predestination paradox. Um, he, so so you, the, the fundamental philosophy in this is that you have no way of changing a past situation. And, and there is a great example that I read in preparation for this show. It's of a person who travels back in time to save a loved one from being hit by a car. But then once they're in the past, they're using a car to try and reach the scene of the accident before it happens and accidentally hits the person that they had come back to save, causing the death that in, it inspired oh, their future self house movie. to, yeah, to travel back phone. in time. Yeah, 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 totally. Like that's the you, – you, so that if, if, if you may actually cause the thing that you're trying to prevent from happening because it's already happened. You can never close that loop. You can't ever change the past even if it involves you going to the past from the future. But your, your question, self. the reason you're so enthusiastic here Love this. is like where, so where, where is the instantiating fact, where, where is the thing that started this? There isn't one. Where did this start or end? No, but your brain can't grok that. Right. Really. No, exactly. I mean, when you I say something that. like, you really don't have a way to time travel to the past to change anything. Well, you also can't time travel to the future to change anything. Right. Because everything that's going to happen is going to happen. Unless, hmm. Have you read this book? This sounds right up your alley. I was, just saw this in the link from Predestination Paradox. This book, a novel from 1973 called The Man Who Folded Himself. I, I have read that, I believe. Sounds amazing and very similar to this. Let me, let me look that up. A Man Who Folded Himself. Is that the one Got with Dichter? Got some of the same plot beats. David Gerald or Gerald? Not Dichter. Who? Who are you thinking about? Philip K. Dick? No, there's a there's a time travel story that has a character in it named Dictor. Oh, 
I don't think that's Dichter. No, this that's is, not uh, Dichter. This is not Dichter. Not Dichter. This is Daniel Eakins. Um, I mentioned this to you before. He wrote All You Zombies in, in one day. Isn't that crazy? No, Dichter is from a, a story um, called uh, By His Bootstraps. Oh, okay. That's another one I saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah total. Okay. Oh, man, that's productivity. I don't know, man, but, you know, it uh, it really grabbed me. And, you know, it just... I love this kind of stuff. I the love Slaughterhouse-Five. I love... I mean, you know, I don't know. I kind of don't want to know that much more about it because I don't know if I could enjoy it anymore by knowing more about what does or doesn't work. I just, you know, it's it's so interesting to me because if, you know, if 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 time travel were possible or at the point at which it becomes possible, people are always like, oh, we'd have to be very careful with it. But I would argue that uh, if if and when we discover how to do it, we have nothing to worry about because if we've gone back in time, then we've already done that. So if I'm hearing you, and I'm sure we'll hear about this for people, but so we've got these two general ways time travel. I could. don't like the splitting of the timelines. It may, it, it's very upsetting. I don't think that's how yeah. it works. It's not as tidy. But so it sounds like what you're saying is if or when time travel, time hopping exists, then it's got to be like this. That's it's what I think. Predestination paradox. Okay. Because, okay. So let, let's, let, let, let's make something up here. Let's say that, um, Let's say that, that, oh, then there's this other there. Okay. So here's it. And this is more like the back to the future kind of time where like, okay, let's say, oh, there's a great, was it a twilight zone or an outer limits, uh, that, that has this one where there's a guy that go, he goes back in time. And the reason that he goes back in time is because he wants to hunt dinosaurs. Okay. That's dumb. Fine. But whatever. He goes back in time to go hunt dinosaurs. Everybody needs a hobby. Everyone needs a hobby. So he goes back in time and, and what they've done is they've identified uh, that you can kill that T-Rex right there because that T-Rex right there is going to die later today of old age anyway. So you can shoot that one, but you cannot get off this path. We've built this little boardwalk path. You cannot get off this path. If you do, uh, then uh, something bad could happen because you could change the future if you do that, you know. Mm. So this guy, I guess for some reason, he either he does step off the path, uh, but he steps on a butterfly in oh, the process sure. of doing this. Oh, like literally? Yes. Oh, that's so is that where that bit comes from? I don't know. But he steps on a oh. butterfly and then he... Uh, he then he kills the dinosaur. No big deal. They go back in time. When they come back to present day, that it is now. It's. I think it was a Hitler thing. It's. It's no longer. It's like people are. <laughs> it was a Hitler thing. Well, well it, like Hitler won the war, and mm-hmm. even though they're in America, it's a Nazi America, and they're all speaking German, and uh, you know yeah. all that stuff. And that's because whatever effect stepping on that butterfly had. Uh, ricocheted into the future, yet he is a man out of time who has now returned to a present where only he is aware uh, that there was this change, that that he caused this change. But see, I feel like that's, that's uh, as we would say in the old country, that's bubkish because I just don't think that it's going to, it just, I don't go along with that. I feel like, I feel like things are as they always were. So if tomorrow they're like, oh, we know how to go in time travel. I'm going to be the first person to go back in time and I'm going to do this thing. 
I don't feel like like it's either he goes back in time and he's already always gone back in time and he's always been there and he always did the things that he was going to do uh, or else where he goes into a splinter reality like you're saying where now he's in a completely different reality. He's yeah. he's living in this completely different space, but you yourself are unaffected by it. Where does he go? Because like if it's splintering, what happens to the old reality that you're in if it has splintered off? What, where, where are you? So if you and I are standing here doing this show and you're like, by the way, Dan, I can go back in time and you hit a button and you go back in time and then you change something 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Am I and then you come back. Where do you come back to? Did you go right. back in time and set up a different reality? Are you part of that reality? Where's the Merlin that I know? Does he ever come back? Is my reality changed? Am I uh, you know what I'm saying? That's too many yes. questions. Well, oh, you're good at this. I think about this a lot. Yeah. Would you, would you have a way to know, I mean, would you have a way to know, how would you know if future you had, uh, was, was coming back that, 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 you know what I mean? How would you know if you from a future or a past was talking to you right now? Would you have a code word or something, a safe word? Oh, so like, like a way that I could tell, you mean, so I could tell wasn't an imposter? Remember, uh, John and Amy Jane worked out this system after they saw face up, uh, face, face up, well, face, face up, off. what's it called? Face off. <laughs> After they saw face off, they realized they needed some kind of code word to know to know if somebody had switched out the other person's body. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. I think that's a good idea. You should have a, a deal with yourself where you would know what to say. But don't tell anybody. It's like a password. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like anybody who comes from the future is going to have an unfair advantage, though, because of the technology. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's that far. You know, like there's like what 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 could you say to your future self? that would convince you that it was you. I mean, wouldn't you be able to look at it and tell like, that's just you, but I would probably be a sucker for some parlor trick involving like the stock market closing today or something like that. I I would probably fall pretty easily. I could probably, I I don't want to get this out because I don't want people to start trolling me with this, but I I think I could be pretty convinced. I I feel like I'm open to it. Have you ever seen a movie, uh, Memento? Mm -hmm. You saw that one? Yeah. That one hurt my head too. Did you see the one? um, And my computer put it in order. My battery just ran out of power. So, uh, no, no, no. Um, the other movie where the guys invent, uh, I can't, I'm out of the chat room. I don't have internet. I don't have anything. Where the, the guys go to, uh, they, they invent, sort of accidentally invent a time machine and they start messing around with, with the stock market and stuff. Oh, oh, well, Primer. Primer, thank you. Oh my you. God, how have we not talked about Primer? Primer. <gasps> Primer's amazing. Oh, I'm so putting that in show notes. Now, and I will say this. diagrams. There's diagrams yes. you can get explaining that. I, I have not found a flaw in that movie, watching it three or four times, there's but no that doesn't- flaw. There's no Oh my God, that's such a good movie. But that very much goes along with the, if you went back in time, you've always gone back in time. Absolutely. But I mean, the complications in that one and the way it piles up. And I think, wasn't that filmed in Austin? I think so, yeah. I mean, all the good stuff. So we we probably need to wrap this up, it sounds like. We should do our last sponsor. Oh my gosh, we got another sponsor? We do, yeah. Can we do it? Dan, who do you want to thank? I would like to say thank you very much to Citrix GoToMeeting. These guys are so cool. They're inventing technologies. That, I'm just an idea guy. They're going to have to run with this, okay? But yeah. they're inventing technologies that can't, can't work and don't exist. But they do. That's Almost the like cool they're from thing. a different time. They do. They do. The people that we work with, okay? Coworkers, you got clients, you got your vendors. This is the thing. Welcome to, to 2015. That's the future now. They're not always in the same office or even in the same city or even in the same country, okay? Mm -hmm. We still need to be able to meet with them, collaborate with them. We want to GTD with them, okay? But travel, I'll tell you two things about travel. A, it's expensive. And uh, two, it's time-consuming. 
So what's better? You want to use the phone, right? You want to use email alone. This is not efficient. That's why like millions of people now, businesses large and small are relying on Citrix GoToMeeting and you can too. It's the best way to meet for the convenience of what? Your home? Yeah, but your computer, wherever you are. You're you're at the bus station. You're hanging out with Merlin at the bus station. That's fine. You could do it right from there. Smartphone, tablet, you name it. This is the way that it works. You hold as many meetings as you need with anyone from anywhere in a virtual space. You can do things like the cool stuff where you share your screen. You can do presentations. You can just, you turn on your webcams, you see each other. They've got high definition video conferencing. It's all built in. Everything like you're in the same room. Don't be a fool and sit in front of one of those terrible, uh, you know, uh, X or Y shaped uh, speaker phones in the conference. Don't do that. Don't be oh, the octopus. Talk about the octopus. Don't, don't do that. No. Go to meeting. You can try it with this, with this uh, special deal. Free for 30 days. You go to gotomeeting.com and there's a try it free button. You click that and you'll get a 30-day free trial. And uh, if, you're, if you've got to collaborate, man, I'll tell you what, they, they've, they've got this stuff figured out. So uh, thank you very much to GoToMeeting. So it's gotomeeting.com. Click a little try it free and, uh, and let them know we sent you. Thanks very much to the, uh, to the Citrix GoToMeeting folks for making this show possible. Thank you very much. Go to meeting. Bok, bok. So I don't know. I mean, we got to, you know, primer, man. Yep. Primer, that's a good one. That one hurt hurt my brain. I did. I will admit I had to watch, even even me as obsessed with the time travels as I am, I had to watch that movie two or three times. You watch this movie and it's very, it's low budget in the best way. Like it's, it's very stripped down. Like obviously they're shooting at somebody's house and stuff like that, and you're thinking like, hmm. And the 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 performances are very, um, uh, kind of underplayed. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. But uh, man, that movie snuck up on me. I did not see that coming. Totally the best way to describe it. You are totally right. It sneaks up on you. The first time that I watched it, I was like, I'm not really enjoying this. It seems kind of slow. It's not. I don't understand what's. Like, what's the point of what they're doing? It's stupid. I actually remember feeling a little bit angry at the movie. And and then after about that first 15 or 20 minutes, I stuck with it. And I was like, wait a second. This is good, you know? And then it just kept getting better and weirder. Yeah. And so if you go out and Google Primer you'll and go to Images, on Google Images, there's lots of... Uh, helpful diagrams about but see the movie first see the yeah, movie first see it but, first but then when you can't get to sleep at night you can go read those diagrams oh, to see so what good. actually is happening so good oh damn that was a weird one it's the best one we ever done we couldn't change it though couldn't change it no we've already done it if you think a about looper. it he's a, a we've, looper we've already recorded this episode a looper a caddy <laughs> so I got that going for me which is nice okay let's button this up I love you love you too Merlin man 